You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? This is my show. Welcome. Come on in. Grab a beer. Hang out. Um, today, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about today's episode because I was able to track down uh, the producer, the journalist, the interviewer for, uh, I think, one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Um, I don't think you would call it, maybe it's a true crime podcast. I don't know. I think it fits into that category. I mean, for me, it clicks off a lot of boxes, right? So it is an investigative show, which is great. It's a well-produced podcast, which I love being a technical nerd and a guy that does a podcast on his own. Um, And it also starts to play with a lot of the stuff that I love about movies, like action films. It plays with uh, characters that I loved from comic books. Um, It is incredibly engrossing with a... um, unreliable narrator it feels like um and it is it feels dangerous it feels uh wild and oftentimes just absolutely unbelievable um and the show that i'm talking about is none other than american vigilante and i I don't know if you guys have listened to the show but definitely look you can find it on apple podcast i think you can find it on a lot of different podcast providers out there um but it's american vigilante and it was produced I'm put together by Sam Walker. Now, Sam uh, joins us on the show. She is awesome to talk to. It's really fun um, because uh, she has her podcasting voice, which is cool. (laughs) I feel like I'm a subject on her show, which is a lot of fun for me. I kind of get a little fanboy and a little nerdy about it um, because I got completely engrossed in her podcast. And uh, it was a show that uh, Will Simmons, my writing partner, he sent to me. And he was like, dude, you got to listen to the show because we're in the process of working on some new ideas. I'm not going to give anything away yet, but he's like, there's a lot of great stuff in here. And so um, I just, you know, you you get so many things sent to you from people that are like, you got to listen to this. And so you're like, okay, cool. I'll put it on my list and I'll get to it. Right. Um, so uh, I downloaded this one immediately because I think Will said like three times, you have to listen to it. You have to listen to it. You have to listen to it. I'm like, okay, three times. Got it. Um, and so, uh, I put it on my queue, went out for a bike ride and started the show and instantly, instantly, I felt like I was brought into this world. I felt like I was brought into this sort of black void and here's Sam's voice and she's explaining that she is going to interview a vigilante, like a real life vigilante, like this guy who is known, uh, in some crazy sort of upper circles or inner circles is known as the person that you call when your daughter has been kidnapped and the police have no leads and it's been two days and you need to get her back before the third day because then she'll be gone forever. And they call this guy, this Frank Castle, this real life Frank Castle, who has made it his life's mission to hunt down the crazy people, the the uh, the worst elements of society that kidnap children, right? Are you not invested? <laughs> I was instantly invested. And then as we sort of progress with it, um, Sam is very honest with us as an audience. And she explains to us, I don't know if the guy that I'm talking to the guy that this entire show revolves around is full of shit or not. I mean, one would assume that he's full of shit. How can somebody get away with doing all these illegal things? And why would this person that has done all this stuff come onto a show and tell us about it? Fascinating. 
absolutely fascinating. So now, not only is the subject material interesting to me, but then the honesty of the podcaster is interesting to me. Now, if you do the research on this show, you'll find that there is this polarizing opinion on the entire podcast. There are people who think that it's legit. There are the people that think that this character named KC is actually a man that uh, has a group of vigilantes that he works with, probably ex-military, that uh, have a system in place and that have the ability to break into a you know drug dealer's den and you know put his head on a spike, right? Like, so there are people out there that fully believe in it. And then there's a big group, you'll find them on Reddit, that come out and go, this is bullshit. Everything's about it is bullshit. The production's bullshit. The people that put it together are manipulative. It's fascinating. And so for me, as a creator, anytime you have that polarizing opposite effect on folks, you got something good. There's something good here because no matter what, it's triggering people. And these responses that we're seeing online are their emotional responses to being triggered by it. So I can't say enough great things about it. If you haven't heard the show yet, you might want to at least go listen to episode one. I'll put links somewhere in the description of the show. Um, go listen to episode one before you start listening to the show. Now, I'm going to warn you, if you are fans of the show, this isn't a podcast that decide, like dissects the whole thing. We're not going to go through all the steps of how the show was made. I'm going to ask you some questions that I had as a listener, but I'm more fascinated with Sam in general. How did she get to the point where she, was she always a journalist? Uh, was she, does she have radio experience? Does she have recording experience? Because the level of quality on this show is so up there, it is so high. And if you look at her bio, it's like, okay, so she was a former journalist for the BBC. Okay, there's a validation there. There's something interesting there. But there's got to be more. And uh, that's what we do. Today's show, I sit down over the internet with uh, Miss Sam Walker, and I get to go deep into her process. I get to learn about her motivations. She talks to me about my motivations. We talk a bit about filmmaking. Uh, we strangely get into a conversation about the new Batgirl thing that happened. Um, and it just goes from there. This is one of the episodes that you should listen to if you're a newcomer on this show. This is the type of episode that defines In Love With The Process. And I'm so glad to be able to present it to y'all. And I'm so happy that you're here today. Big shout out. Big thanks to everybody that follows me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. It follows the podcast on Instagram. That's In Love With The Process pod on Instagram. Thank you so much. Um, you guys have been sending me suggestions for guests. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get folks on the show that you want me to get on the show. But this is the place to go as I run contests, as I let you guys know about new merch that comes out, as I sort of roll out everything that's going on with the filmmaking projects and all the other stuff that we're working on. Um, as you listen to the show, we're going to hit our ad read section, which has developed beyond an ad read session. If you're a fan of this podcast, you know that I don't do typical ad reads. I team up with companies and corporations, people that I use, places that I respect, and more importantly, places that respect creatives. And I talk about my experiences using these things. So as you come to the ad read in the middle of it, understand that if you're one of those people that like to skip past that, you're going to miss all sorts of really great stories of nuggets and all sorts of really good stuff. So don't do it. All right. 
Um, and I'll catch up with you guys at the end of the show. I don't want to hold back any longer. This is a great interview. It's a longer interview. Strap yourselves in. Uh, grab those noise-canceling headphones. Throw me one of those beers real quick. I want one of those. Um, and uh, I'll drink my new Bear Republic here. I got a nice IPA. Let's get into it. You know the deal. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Sam, I am excited to have you on the show. How are you? I'm really, really good. It's good to speak to you, Mike. I love hearing your voice. I feel like you're going to be interviewing me in my my history of like hunting down like vigilantes and stuff. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? As somebody who was always on the asking questions side of the conversation for 20 years, mm-hmm. I still find it a little bit strange to be interviewed. So if I start asking you questions, you can just tell me to shush. I love I'm it. I'm down with that. No I, problem. No, I love it. I love it. This is what it's supposed to be. I mean, if you were closer, I'd we'd have beers right now and just have a conversation. So, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah man, I'm totally in. Well, before we get started, I just have to say the reason why I hunted you down, um, I'm a huge fan of the work you did on the American Vigilante podcast. I thought it was fucking fantastic. I really loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was... Um, it was, as you would say, in this country, a process. Yeah, it was a, it was a journey. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, besides, you know, the subject material and, and uh, I'm sure like sort of hunting this guy down and convincing this guy to be on the show, but then just the production value of the show was just phenomenal. Um, and the storytelling uh, techniques that you guys used for the show were just completely captivating. Um, and anytime... Like, because I'm a filmmaker at heart and I'm a director at heart. And anytime you have a polarized audience that at the end of it goes, is this fucking bullshit? I think this is bullshit. It's, it mm. means it's good content. <laughs> you know, you're right. And it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I work for a state broadcaster. You know, I worked for the BBC for 20 years. And so I'm very used to, to people getting in touch and absolutely speaking their mind. You know, I was the announcer on air doing the political interviews and doing uh-huh. sometimes the divisive interviews with divisive people. So I'm very used to people sort of throwing their opinion my way. And I'm always, you know, I'm always fascinated when people are so convinced one way or the other. They know that this is bullshit. They know 
know it. And, you know, at the beginning of my career, I would spend quite a lot of time and effort responding to those people and going, no, 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 because this is, let me show you the, the process here. And no, no, this is done. And now I'm like, do you know what? I, I, I'm not, I don't really have the time and energy to change your mind. <laughs> yeah. You, you, I, you have to believe what you have to believe and what sits right with you. I know what sits right with me. I was true to myself in this process, whatever it might be. And that's where we're going to have to leave it. Because <laughs> otherwise you go crazy. <laughs> it's totally true. I mean, and you get, I think you can get caught in a spiral if you start getting into the comments, you start getting into feedback. Oh, yeah. from you. Like I get it with movie stuff. And, and you sort of hit a point where I, I was talking about this with someone else in the show. It's interesting because there's this sense of... This is dopamine rush that happens for me if I'm like putting something up, if I do a music video or a movie and I'm, I'm like, let me just see what the fans think. And I get on there and you'll have like a hundred great comments and it's always that one shitty comment that just gives you that strong <laughs> dopamine rush where you're like, I, I got to chase this person down and convince them. <laughs> right. I remember a hundred years ago lying on a beach somewhere in Europe and I'd stopped at the airport and gone into the bookshop in the airport. And you know, there's always those books that are like a dollar or a couple of pounds <laughs> as they would be in England in the kind of big basket. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to the beach. I'll pick something. And I picked out the autobiography of one of the Spice Girls, <laughs> Jerry Halliwell. Now, you know, I'm not a big autobiography person. Uh -huh. I was obviously very aware of the Spice Girls. It was, uh -huh. you know, a huge, huge, huge movement. And I thought, huh, yeah, okay, I'll read that. You know, quite interesting to see what it must have been like to be in that complete firestorm. And she says exactly that about being on tour and actually being in America mm -hmm. and, you know, astounded that she came to this enormous country and suddenly there are thousands of fans there every night in the arenas. And she said she woke up in the morning and looked out of her hotel room window and there again were like thousands of fans just screaming her name, you know, excited <laughs> to see her. And there was one kid stood there with a sign saying, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, and that was the one she sort of laser focused in on and it kind of destroyed her and yeah. she was devastated by it. So I'm glad you kind of get the dopamine rush because <laughs> it can't be brutal. I'm a bit more Jerry Halliwell than Mike. It's yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, dopamine comes from positive and negative attention. I mean, it's, you're right. You're it, right. You know, it's, it's just weird. It's fascinating. <sighs> At least when I first started doing this stuff, I was very concerned about how the audience was reacting to stuff and you know we make stuff uh, I don't know if you agree with me on this but I make stuff for the audience to a certain extent where you're sitting there going like I'm I'm crafting I'm inviting you into my creative home I'm gonna craft this experience for you and hopefully all these things that we spent hours and hours and hours sort of developing uh, the, these little emotional uh, stepping stones register with you um, and you know, uh, there's this sense of needing that approval. I think when I'm younger and you just sort of hit a point where you go like, okay, now enough people get this. We're, we're fine. <laughs> Let's move. Yeah. And, and I'd go, I'd go even further, actually. I'm completely with you, but I would go further and say, do not create anything unless it is for the audience. Mm -hmm. Do not even begin. You, every single thing that you create and you put out into the world, how is this serving somebody else? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you can serve everybody. And I think there's the big thing. And, you know, I will see something on TV or I will listen to a piece of music or watch a movie. And instead of saying, that's shit, <laughs> I think that's absolutely rubbish. I go, well, that wasn't meant for me. Yeah, that's and that's the way good. I view it. And, you know, and I can listen to, I mean, my kids actually, I must say, have exquisite taste in music and I do love everything that they love but there is stuff we'll turn on the radio and I'm like what is this and I'm like 
instead of thinking, as I might have in the past, this is garbage, I go, well, this clearly isn't meant for me. Yeah, <laughs> because, <no. you> know, <laughs> because it's meant for somebody. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. And that's now how I take feedback. I just go, oh, that person doesn't realize this wasn't for them, yeah. this thing that I made. So that's good. They can find their own thing and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you completely because there's this sense of watching something and being able to pass judgment on it so quickly and then you just forget. I try to convince people on the show consistently. Like if it's a if you think a movie or a thing is a piece of shit, it took a small miracle for that piece of shit to actually start to be made and, and go through <laughs> right. the process that was that making it. And then it's funny. I, uh, when I was doing interviews, my girlfriend was was deep into Gossip Girl, and she'd watch it all the time, and it drove me yeah. crazy. It's not it's not a show for me, <laughs> as you know. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and so, kind of as a joke, I reached out to the one of the directors for Gossip Girl, got him on the show, and I said to my girlfriend, I go, I got the guy from Gossip Girl on the show. And she's like, no, you didn't. I said, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to do this interview on the show that I it drives me crazy. And I had him on there for, you know, five minutes and I go, I just don't like the show. He goes, Mike, it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right. okay, you're right. <laughs> 100%. And I remember when I first started out in radio, you know, I was a radio host, was the first kind of real, um, I don't know, this sounds really pretentious, public facing. Ah, I can't think of another phrase. Ah, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. It's the first thing I did that I knew people that I didn't know personally were going to listen, put it that way. Yep. And I, I think I was, I mean, I'd, I'd spent my 20s not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And I trained as a journalist and I was like, I don't want to be like a regular journalist. And mm. I worked in a bit of PR going, this isn't quite for me, but I don't know what it is. And then along, there's another story, but found myself in a radio studio and went literally like a Gary Larson cartoon, the heavens opened and there were some angels going, this is what you want to do. This is it. And I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. So I started out and I had such passion for it. And I would get up at 4am and drive across London mm -hmm. and, you know, really burn the candle at both ends. But I just, I found my purpose and I loved it so much. And the first day I got the message going, you suck. Shut up. You know, I was... I was, it was like a, a punch in my throat. Yeah. I was like, oh, I can't, oh, I'm just me. I'm just a person. Why are they being so mean? And it was, it, you know, it absolutely floored me. Yeah. And, and it was weird. And I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a horoscope person, right? I'm not right. the person who generally reads the horoscopes in the newspaper or whatever. Right. But it happened to be a couple of days later, I was sitting having a coffee or something and I was reading the newspaper and there were the horoscopes and I was like, oh, okay, Taurus. <laughs> and I looked down and it was this guy called Jonathan Kaner and I still remember his name isn't that funny and yeah. it said and he said Taurus for that is me uh, Taurus just think for a moment of that book that you read that stayed with you and touched you and stayed with you for years think of the song now and we can all think of one mm -hmm. that when you hear it the hairs on the back of your arms stand up think of that movie that you can just get lost in that world and it just transports you somebody somewhere hates that movie <laughs> yeah. somebody somewhere hates that book yep. thinks that song sucks and imagine if the person who created that movie or that song or that tv show or that book had listened to the person who hated it while they were in that creative process they never would have made it and how much less rich would your life be now if that had never been made that's true and i was like 
Ha! Huh. And mm-hmm. he went, so criticism you're, you're suffering from now, be aware, you know, you don't have to listen to that critical voice. And I was like, oh my God, bloody hell. <laughs> 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 Maybe I should read this in the paper, but you know. But, and I just thought that is a wonderful piece of kind of philosophy for life, actually. Yeah. When you think about criticism and when you're creating something, it is like you're freaking giving birth it really is you yeah, kind of you know yeah. you're like oh i've created it's out in the world and it's got its own life now and is everyone gonna hate it it's like sending your kid off to school and going yes. are they gonna get beaten up is everyone gonna hate them yes. and you, you know yes. and you just want them to be okay yeah and it does kind of feel like that it does um, i completely sympathize <laughs> it does man like you go through the process of conceiving this thing from nothing and then you put it together and you are like, you're identified by it. This is what, what drives you in the whole process of making it. And then it just sort of goes off and then someone else, it's like, it's like having an outdoor cat, you know, someone else is feeding it. (laughs) Take care of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I grew up my whole life with outdoor cats and then we moved to Arizona and, uh, unfortunately one of our cats met a coyote and now we have, and now we have indoor cats because we, (laughs) Outdoor cats in Arizona do not mix at all. Well, so, I yeah, it, I hear you. I bring it up because I'm allergic to cats. I'm deathly allergic to cats and dogs. And my girlfriend, uh, really? you know, getting into a relationship with me meant that she had to sort of tamper her love of animals because we can't <gasps> have them. And uh, recently, we've had this, like, mangy outdoor cat just coming to our porch, and she's feeding it tuna every day. (laughs) So, yeah. So, she's got – she's living vicariously through an outdoor cat right now, which is fun. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, Yeah. well, if you ever come over to my place, Mike, I'm going to have to send you a hazmat suit. Yes, please. (laughs) I have have many animals. (laughs) You'd be dead within a few seconds of walking in the door. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Um, Well, this – I'm having so much fun already with this um so so let's talk a bit about uh radio so you went to school did you go to school for journalism is that how it started with you uh yes and no so in the in england in the uk in britain it's you know we've got a slightly different education system but my sort of major as it would be called here at university was english literature Mm -hmm. and i guess i wanted at some way to get into writing or something creative i didn't come from a family with any sort of connections within media any Mm -hmm. sort of connections within the creative space you know my dad was a high school teacher uh my mum worked in an office of a a plastics factory so Hmm. it's not like they were kind of going oh go work experience with my friend who runs this, you know, media right. business or anything, you know, I, I wouldn't have had a clue. So I kind of thought I wanted to do something, but didn't know how to do it. But I was, I was smart and I worked really hard at school. You know, I, I grew up in a small town, so there wasn't really anything to do but study. So um, <laughs> I did. And so I went to university and went to Cambridge and, and did English literature there. And then when I left, I did a kind of postgraduate journalism not a degree, but kind of a diploma type mm-hmm. thing in London. Cause I thought, well, you go to London. That's what you do, you know, after you've mm-hmm. left college. And, um, and I did that and I, and I kind of learned the craft in inverted commas and then, and then went and worked for a couple of newspapers and magazines. And, you know, one of the first assignments I got, I had to go to the house of Lords, which is, is not the Senate. I can't really kind of think how hmm. to equate it into this country, but it's their non-elected officials, lords. They're sort of given titles by previous governments and the Queen and things like right, that. So right, right. these, but they they have a say within the governance of the UK. So 
I went to the House of Lords. So it's seen as a very stuffy, old-fashioned institution. It's very British. Yeah, right. And I had to had to put on like a, a suit to go. And I and I had to and I there was some law commission report. And I sat there with my sort of reporter's powder going, This, this really isn't me. This isn't, you know, this is not what I want to do. And I sort of slid out of that and then genuinely for my 20s didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I, mm-hmm. I just did some marketing and I did some PR and I did some kind of vaguely sort of creative adjacent type work. I mean, there obviously mm-hmm. is creativity in marketing PR, but I, I, I really kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I ran a recording studio for a while, which was really great fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, got to meet lots of cool people. And during that time, we we also made sort of radio ads and radio campaigns. And mm. um, and sometimes the voiceover didn't turn up. Right. And when someone came in and said, hey, we've got a new single from, uh, you know, a, a Garbage. I don't know if you remember Garbage, the I band Garbage. garbage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, they, yeah. We, we were doing a radio ad for one of their songs and the, ra- and the voiceover artist didn't turn up. And the producer was like, you've got a pretty good voice. Would you, would you go and give it a go? We really need to get this out today <laughs> so i kind of went in and i was like i did i kind of put a you know a kind of the new single from garbage out now type voice on you know some yeah, kind right. of a, a cool voice and anyway it got you so it went out on the radio and i was like oh that's exciting so um <laughs> fast forward as these things do uh, you know a couple of years later and i was working doing some pr and stuff and this guy got in touch. He was a DJ and he was a DJ, club DJ, but also a radio DJ. And he said, look, I've just started kind of managing this radio station in South London. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember you had done some postgrad journalism and you've got a good voice. So I really need some news readers. Would you come and maybe audition to read the news? And I was like, wow, this is out of the blue. Okay, great. That's cool. So I, I turned up and he was on air doing the kind of the afternoon show, you know, that as we call it in England, the drive show, sort of four till seven in the evening as people are hitting the freeways to go home from work. Yep. And um, as we were there, he said, look, you're in, you're here with me. Um, why don't you read the travel? And I was like, what? And he went, well, you know, the red light's going to go on and you'll see the screen in front of you. Just read the travel. It's like where the accidents are, where the roadworks are, where's slow, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I sat there and as I said to you earlier, the kind of light went on. And as I started to say, if you, you know, when you're heading home tonight, you're going to be 30 minutes extra delay here. Blah, and I was just like, oh my God, this is it. <laughs> and I literally had this moment of, this is what I want to do. I want to talk into this ridiculous bit of foam <laughs> yeah. and ah and my whole 20s of going i don't know what i want to do with my life blah yep. suddenly literally went into focus in that moment and i walked i found this confidence and i walked into the boss's office and went hi I want to be on your radio station. And he was like, okay, what experience do you have? And I went, none at all. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, okay, this is a good start. And I was like, but I know I can talk and I want to do it. And anyway, I, I, to this day, don't really know how it happened, but I, I wouldn't give up. Yep. And within a month I was co-hosting the morning show. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, for eight, eight dollars a year i mean sure. it was no money i mean it was, it was sure. terrible and uh, and lots of other things happened around that time but like i said for for i earned no money i mean just just enough to pay my rent i didn't have enough money to buy groceries or anything or go out i was so skin i was so poor skin i don't know if you have that word here it means really really poor yep. um but i was that so happy i felt absolutely alive and connected and uh, to the world around me uh. and that's how it that's how it all began and it was you know looking back now i'm like oh 
that was great, even though it was also awful. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's that's what we live for, right? It's like when you yeah. find your purpose, you have a sense of purpose, and it's something that makes you really happy, and you just hope that you, it makes you enough money so that you can continue to do that thing. I mean, that's yeah. that's sort of the, you know, <laughs> that's the infection that uh, creatives get. If you're lucky, that's the infection that you get. I was I had sort of a similar path. Mine was sort of strangely different. I went to school for radio, and I thought that right. that was my thing, and that's what I wanted to do. And my first show, I had the uh, program director come in and go, okay, so at the top of the hour, you play CDs with the green sticker. And at the bottom of the hour, you play CDs with the blue sticker. And I go, why the fuck am I here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just happened to be taking a uh, film course for credit. And, uh, you know, I had watched movies prior to that. And, I, you know, I wasn't completely ignorant. I didn't think that Indiana Jones lived in this little box in my living room. But, <laughs> I, you know, I never really thought about it. And I, and I remember we watched, I think we watched like uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. And then we watched, uh, wow, what was the other one that we watched? Um, Rosebud there. What was the movie? The classic. Oh, with- um, oh my gosh. The fact you've just said it. Citizen Kane. There Citizen we go. Kane. Yeah. <laughs> so watch both these movies and the professor puts the lights up and he goes, what do you think of the wardrobe? And I went, oh, what? The outfits? And he's like, yeah, you know, the person that did this. I go, oh, fuck. There's a person that did the outfits. And so then I started to think about it. And I went, man, I loved comic books, and I want to be a comic book illustrator, and I love introducing people to music, and I love introducing people to emotions. This is everything I fucking love. Um, and yeah. I had the same moment where it was just like, this is this is the shit. This is what I want to do is this. Um, and, you know, once again, you, get, you barely get paid. You have to thank the gods for allowing you to work for free all the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's a fun fucking gig, you know? I love it. That was the thing. And I think, you know, and... And it is to do with being creative, but I think, you know, one of the things I do in my life now is I actually help um, companies and individuals and organizations make podcasts as well. And, Mm. you know, and what I love is that kind of discovery and I love learning stuff and, you know, sometimes I might make a podcast for an organization. I think I don't have a lot in common with what they do, but then as soon as you actually start to hear their stories and Mm -hmm. hear how people find where they are in the world, you realize actually it's pretty much the same. You know, I was, I was working with a client recently who's, um, who's, whose person that they were interviewing was a bailiff, right? He was one of these people who will go and knock on your door <laughs> if you owe loads of money and say, right, I'm here because you owe, I don't know, this person, this, you know, the gas company $1,000 and I'm here to take your TV. And right. it sounds brutal and hideous, right? Right. But this person actually, he started to do it when he was sort of 17, 18 because he came out of school. He didn't really have any qualifications and he thought, oh, it's going to make me some good money. I was totally focused, he said, and motivated by money. It's a good way to make quick money. Sure. And he started doing it. And then he was like, this is awful. How can you do this to another human being? This is just like dreadful. And a lot of people might have gone, yeah, I'm out. You know, I'm out. I'm leaving this industry. It's hideous to treat people like this who've fallen on hard times financially. Yeah. But he didn't do that. He actually turned around and went, I'm going to change this to make it better. I understand if people have debts, they need to recover those debts, but there's got to be a better way. And this guy actually ended up getting stabbed and like attacked by other other bailiff companies within London. He found out what he was doing because he was trying to, but he found that purpose and that vision 
Yeah. And and he absolutely stuck to it. And he's now an older guy, but he's totally revolutionized. I mean, he's literally gone to government and got the laws changed. Wow. And, and he said, as soon as I found that purpose, knowing what I wanted to do, I kind of locked on. And he said, and then whatever you go through, it's almost like you can brush it off. Yeah. You can brush the bad shit off when you find the thing that you're really passionate about. The fact that, you know, like you were saying that, you, you know, you had no money and I had yeah. no money and that becomes almost, in, I mean, we were like, okay, I could eat. I'm not, like, exactly, you know, exactly, exactly. If you're really, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sort of, I don't want to glamorize poverty. It was a very, I was homeless. You know, I was literally living on my friend's couch. I don't want to glamorize that, but I was really lucky because I had a friend who could give me a couch yeah. and I had enough money to eat. So it really wasn't, it was, I was okay in the great scheme of things. But when you find that thing that you just, love mm -hmm. other things that you used to find really significant become insignificant i guess is what i'm trying to say i get it too yeah and the, you sort of understand the minimal that you need to survive and be happy which is fascinating because then you're sort of you're at least for me i wasn't like a lot of my friends were which is like i want to make as much money as i possibly can and if i'm making this certain amount of money that that is what makes me happy and that's what makes yeah. me successful and i'm continuously saying to folks that they get into the business of freelancing um it's like what is the bare minimum that you need to survive like what is the yeah. amount that you need to stay happy and ahead of the curve and ahead of your rent and ahead of your bills um, and then that enables you to continue to do this thing that you love. And if you dial that in and then create content, it's all about consistency with the stuff that we do, right? So like mm, the people yeah. that would shit on you for doing for first doing radio stuff, I guarantee you, you're on that radio for four years, five years, and people, everything starts to change. And they're like, oh, it's Sam again. I love Sam. She's great. It's just this <laughs> consistency that we need to do with all of our work. It's like, you fucking hate me now, and you're going you're gonna to love me 30 years from now. <laughs> You are absolutely correct. And I would always say that. And my, my husband, actually, I'd come back and go, oh, this guy's like giving me a load of drama on text messages. And he was like, you suck. I hate you. Get off my radio. And he was like, he's going to be your biggest fan. And I was like, he's, he's not. He hates me. And, you know, and after a while he was like, do you know what? I used to hate you. And I've got a theory behind this. Okay. And I think it's because, you know, if... If you turn on the radio and there is that person, say it's me, going, hi, how, welcome, blah, you know, kind of up and jazz hands and <laughs> over the top and really full of, you're like, oh, dial it down. Yeah. Come on. Come on. But actually, when you think about your best friend, yep. and when you see your best friend, they might be like, oh, yeah, you asshole, how are you? Oh, and they're really kind of over the top and full on, and you've got that really big connection and that banter, and you get on really well. The first time you met them, they weren't like that. No. They were like, they weren't They weren't uber them. They were like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. How are you? They were polite them. They yeah. were like meeting parents them. And, and I think that's it. So when you form a friendship, a connection with someone, it takes a lot of time, and it takes quite a long time until someone really shows who they are because being vulnerable is really difficult, isn't it? So yes. we, we only really show who we are fully to our closest friends. And that takes months, if not years. So yeah, if you turn the radio or the TV on and there's someone going at you, you think, oh, I don't even know this person. Why are they being so over familiar? Mm -hmm. And then it, it takes time to get to know them. It's like, and, and you know, I'm sure you find that with filmmaking when you're kind of creating and building characters, you yes. can't have that character be 100% them from the moment you start because people need to see them grow and find that affinity with them mm -hmm. before they can really connect yeah and there's this sense of folks like liking to peel you know it's like peeling a banana you know they like to yeah. peel peel back all of those 
those guards, all those walls that are put in place. And you talk about like being vulnerable, especially as a male being a vulnerable is, is, I mean, it's becoming better now, I think with the yeah. new generations, but you know, I'm 44. So growing up, it was just like, pull your shit together. Stop being a fucking baby. And th that's yeah, right. Most, yeah. mostly what dudes have always been. And, um, it's, it's a fascinating thing. I, I it, and there's this sense, so it, yeah. You know, yeah. you must know this after, you know, interviewing KC. I mean, I, th mm -hmm. I thought the stuff that uh, interested me most about that series you did, the Vigilante series, was how emotional this man became and how emotional, whether or not it was true or not, how emotional this character became. And you go from seeing this guy as like this brute force that like mm -hmm. kicks in doors and smashes skulls to being somebody who feels like he's just a misunderstood, you know, grizzly bear. And, you know. Yeah, simple I, mountain boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, fascinating. it's fascinating. I, I do rem I remember one particular story of his, and, you know, this is no spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened to American Vigilante yet, but he talks about heading um, down, I think he's in Arizona, actually, mm -hmm. from memory, and he heads down to Tucson, and he's trying to find this kid who's Skip Bale, He's a gang member and he's a pretty nasty piece of work. And he talks through the process of finding this kid and how he manages to kind of get him and capture him where the police have failed time and time again. Mm -hmm. And as exactly as you've just said, Mike, he talks about, you know, in explicit detail about really violent altercations. Mm -hmm. And he is saying it with, you know, no emotion in his voice. There was no, I mean, he might get kind of passionate and it, yeah. And then I smashed that. And, but he's not going, holy shit. And then I, you know, I had to, he grabbed me and, you know, right. I, you know, if someone attacked me, I'd be crying as I was telling you the story, but he's there and he's very, very focused and kind of laser focused. And then he talks about meeting this guy's mother afterwards who basically was going to lose her entire house if her kids skipped bail because she I put a house this. up as a bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, she was scared because she'd worked her whole life and she was a widow and she was like, I'm going to lose everything. And, hang on, I'm just going to cough. It's okay. <coughs> it's all good. The great skill of podcasting. Hang on. <laughs> <coughs> and he then talks about going and meeting with her mm -hmm. and she said, I want you to come to my house. And he said, and, and, and that lady invited me to her house and I she cooked this. me a meal yes. and he cried. Yes. And I was like, you've just been through hell and she's, she's made you a meal and that's nice of her, but you're on the floor crying because she was so kind. And I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah. So yeah, there were so many curveballs like that where his, his emotion, I think, was he was holding down so much of it the whole time yeah. that there were just moments when it, you know, unexpectedly went bang and it all came out. It's interesting because when you, when I listen to the show, you feel like the, obviously there's been a, enough time between when he's telling you, you know, loosely telling you specifics about different things. And he's been sort of doing this for a long period of time. And then there's something about getting older and there's something about no matter how tough you try to be. Um, you know, you hit a certain age where you're starting to take emotional stock of your experiences and everything that's going mm. on. And, um, I kind of felt that way with him, you know, where he, like you, you ask yourself, like, why would a guy like this want to, you know, go on the record? You know, why would a guy like this want to put this out there? Especially if, you know, what he's doing is, you know, illegal, you know, in the mm. whole process of this thing. And, 
and you know, just to, when I heard that bit where he started to get you know emotional about that mother, it's just like he's got to have so much bound up emotional shit from everything that he's seen and everything that he's done, and then being alone ultimately. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it was you know it's heartbreaking. It was very heartbreaking to hear all that stuff. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I th- Casey is is a very very complex person. Of course, of course, that's you know stating the obvious. But what I found one of the most interesting things I found talking to him was I think I took our conversations to places that he did not expect. <laughs> I think genuinely he thought. And, you know, when I was first introduced to him and he was very much, I'm going to decide whether I want to talk to you and I'm going to decide whether I want to talk to you because I might want to talk to someone else. So, you know, you, you don't get to decide if you want to talk to me. I get to decide if I want to, you know, if I want you to talk to me. So he was very much, you know, I, I pull the, and I call the shots here. It's my choice. It's my, you know, decision to do everything. And okay, I choose you. Yeah, that's his, was, that you know, was his defense at that point. Yeah, 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 that was absolutely that. And so it was, you know, and, uh, you know, he's, he said that to me time and time and time again. You have to realize I chose you. And yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. But, well, but, but what, I, I still think he kind of thought, because I'm a mother, he said that many times to me, you know, mm-hmm. I thought you'd understand as a mother when I go and rescue kidnap kids, he thought that would really you know, and it did affect me, of course, but it, that would affect me. And I'd go, you're a hero. You're amazing. Right. But actually I approached this going, okay, I'm going to approach this as the audience. You know, we're getting back to everything you create is for the audience. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, my main purpose of creating this podcast was not to say, here's this amazing person I met. Let's listen to all these stories. And he's completely kosher and just know that and enjoy it. Right. I was saying, look, I don't know what's going on here. And I wanted to be really authentic with the audience and take them on the same journey I went on going, look, what do you think? Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not going to lie to you and say, I know one way or the other because I don't. And I want to take you with me hand in hand going, what the heck is going on here? I don't know. So I think w- that annoyed him. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. It, it annoyed him, and he was like, "Oh, a lot of people are pissed off with you because you don't believe me." And I'm like, "I don't. I'm not saying I don't believe you. I'm saying I don't know, Casey, and I'm not going to to say that I do know when I don't." And and so asking about his childhood and his relationship with his father, and you know, well, it, that's what I think threw him because he was like, "Hang yeah. on, I'm a hero here, and <laughs> you, you, stop asking me about you know, stop talking to me like I'm doing something wrong." Yeah, you know, so at, at that point you're disrupting his narrative, which I liked about it, and I actually enjoyed oh. that perspective from it. I've done enough documentary work, whether I've directed them or I've been a cinematographer on documentaries, and I understand when people put on stories for the camera. And there are moments where you know you have to be able to just call bullshit and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. And yeah. there's something about I don't know. Documentaries have shifted so much with mm. with uh, modern sort of streaming services, and even before that, like modern television, documentaries went from being, I think, 
sort of truthful, sort of fly on the wall to becoming very sort of dramatized and going, all right, we yeah. understand that we have to build drama per episode. And then you start to watch all these shows now, which are supposedly documentaries, and it's just a formula drama piece. And it's like, okay, what's the difference between it being like a bunch of single guys trying to find a girl or a bunch of glass blowers <laughs> and it works? It's the same fucking show. On both ends of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so when I started doing docs early on, it's a wild pro it's a it's a different process than doing narrative film because narrative film everything's prepped in the front you write the story you write the idea and then you go grab the elements with docs everything's written in the edit room everything's in the back end because you don't know what you're going to get you're you're out there looking for nuggets you're out there finding leads and following those leads and and then you start to write a story in the back end of it um the thing about documentaries that i don't want to say turned me off they i think it kind of scared me as an individual and this comes to what you did, which is like you end up having to become invested in the lives of these people. Like I did a series of docs on gang members in Boston and I did, you know, uh, docs on like pretty rough neighborhoods and rough people. And the, these people know who you are and you become part of their life. And then you start to become a part of their drama. And it, it becomes yeah. this thing that, that is you now. And I, I didn't like that personally as a, as a storyteller. And that's kind of why I was like, yeah. And I have nothing but the most respect for people that do that with honesty. And, and I felt that way when I listened to your piece. 50 hours, Casey and I spoke. Jeez. 50 hours. Wow. So talking of an investment, yeah. I mean, the little room I'm talking to you now was where I sat for 50 hours wow. uh, last year and spoke to KC. And it was, you know, we'd speak three times a week for two or, two or three hours a week. And there were some times when I, you know, I'd start talking, say we spoke, I don't know, nine till 11 or nine till noon, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I'd think, okay, well, I've got this and this and this and this and this and this to do after the interview. That's great. So we'll st I'll talk to him <clears throat> and then I'll, I'll go and do all the other things I need to do. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would step out of my booth and I would go and sit on the couch and I'd go, oh, I'm just going just gonna to process that conversation. And I'd look down and it was two hours. And I was like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> my, my whole day is gone. Because yeah, yeah. You, you can't talk to somebody who – is telling you stories that that absolutely blow your mind mm -hmm. while simultaneously trying to listen so surgically to see if they trip up, to see if they contradict themselves, to see if they make a mistake, to see if they're trying to ascertain if they're lying. Yeah. And then you've got a whole other level of that going, is this morally right or wrong what he's doing? Yeah. And how's the audience going to react to that? So you've got about, 18 different thought processes going on mm -hmm. whilst this big bear of a man is telling you about smashing somebody's head against a door and you're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of go and pick my kids up from school and they were like, hi. And I was like, hello. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, investment is, <laughs> I don't think I really realized how invested I would, I would have to become really. Yeah, yeah no, it's crazy. So, I mean, you don't have to say it on the show if, if obviously it'll get you in trouble, but how, how did you end up meeting this guy? How did you end up finding this guy? I was introduced to him. I, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I was introduced mm -hmm. to him by somebody I trust mm -hmm. who came to me and said, look, I, I don't know if he's kosher or not. I'm going to be really honest with you. I, I don't know. 
And I met him via Zoom. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm not. I'm not going to show you my face yet, Sam, you know, and all this. So he does, you know, he's this big booming voice that he has. So I saw this kind of outline uh, of this enormous man sitting in a truck full of stuff. Wow. Um, with this kind of in silhouette because the sun was right behind him. Wow. And, um, and he said, uh, I've, I've got things I want to tell you. Uh, well, I want to tell some, you know, as I said, at this stage, he was saying, I don't know if I'm going to choose you. But I'm ready to talk, but I don't know if I'm going to choose you yet. Mm-hmm. And um, and all I could think, and I said this on the show, uh, all I could think was he looked like Maui from Moana. You know, the, <laughs> the character voiced by Dwayne Johnson, this kind of enormous man with this kind of, I could see this kind of wild hair. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and then funnily enough, when I did actually see his face eventually, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not too far away. Um, but... <laughs> But that that's how I i kind of met him in inverted commas. And I remember going downstairs and kind of saying to my husband, so I've just had this really weird conversation. And he was like, what? Anyway, he said, go back upstairs immediately and record everything that you're thinking now. Yeah. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I did. And I, I've still got that recording of me just going, so I just got introduced to this guy and I don't know if he's bullshit. I don't know if I like him. I don't know if I think what he's doing is good or bad for society. Yeah. Uh, all of these things. And, um, and then it was really, I suppose over the next couple of weeks, I had a few kind of email conversations and blah, blah, blah. And then I, I just thought I need to know, I need to know, what this guy's about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ever going to find answers to the 400,000 questions that are in my head, but it's going to be completely fascinating. And, and that's really my motivation for doing it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, it was all of those things in the end. <laughs> completely. <laughs> so were you ever in the same space? Have you ever been in the same space with him? Never met him. It's never, crazy. never met him. Never met him. I've seen his face. And he went through a phase actually where we would speak face to face on, um, you know, recording. Mm-hmm. So I would see him and then he kind of got spooked and then hid his face again. Um, I think he was like, you're, you, you're not recording the video. Are you? I was like, I'm not recording the video. I'm just recording the audio. Right. And he was like, yeah, but it says recording. And I, I just worried that you're recording the video. And so then he didn't for a while. Huh. And then, and I was like, it's not recording video. But then, um, <laughs> then I saw him a bit again, but he would say to me, even when he kind of called me afterwards and I haven't spoken to him now, this is the longest time I haven't spoken to him. It's a couple of months. Hmm. Um, and, but he would always call me and go, Are you recording this? And I was like, no, I'm just on the phone. You know, he'd call, <laughs> he'd call me via an app and he has many different phone numbers. Of course he does. Sure. Um, uh, but he'd always go, Are you recording this? I was like, no. And then he was like, I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you recording this? And I was like, holy smoke. So, you know, he never quit. Even when, yeah. even after the podcast was out and it, it was kind of published and out in the world. And, you know, as I said, he was pretty pissed off um, that I didn't, along with Crowd, who were the production company I worked with, who were amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't 
pitch this as, here is an American hero I met, and he's incredible, and he's going to save the country from all the terrible things that are happening. Meet KC. I went, huh, so here's this guy, and I don't know if he's lying or not, and I don't, And he was really angry. Wow. He was angry. He was angry with me. He was very angry with crowd with uh, mike and steve and phil who i work with a crowd yeah um he said i mean i don't want to go too much into it but dd who i spoke to on the podcast he messaged me to say dd was really upset with me oh. um and she felt that you know how can how can sam not completely believe everything casey says and she felt really betrayed which was really hard to take because I was very affected by Dee's story and yeah. what had happened to her. Yeah. Um, he told me a couple of other members of his crew wanted to speak to me. And I was like, nope. <laughs> As in, after the podcast, I was like, hey, Murph wants to have a word with you. And I was like, no, you're okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future holds right now. But I may see him. I may not. Ah, oh, wild. I mean... I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate that he feels that way because obviously you broke the narrative that he was trying to put out there in the world. But I think you did it in a smart way because if you had done it the the other way, where it's just like this guy's a hero, this guy's a, he would have got more shit, I think, than than now because at this point you're coming out and saying like. How do I believe a character like this? How do you believe a character like this when you hear this? It just doesn't sound legitimate. And by the time I get to the end of the episode, I full-heartedly believe that you sort of believe him by the by the end of the episode. So it isn't – it just feels more validated. And it feels um, – it feels – I get to make the decision with you instead of you saying, Hey, guess what? This is, this is a real dude. This is what he went through. And like, this is all legitimate. Listen, how crazy these stories are. It, it was more fun to go through this process, which enabled me to absorb it better. You know what I mean? And, and, and you're an adult yeah. and you can make your own decisions. And I think, yeah. and, and this was something I felt really strongly about was, and this is what I said to him. And, you know, he was angry with me, but he's not like totally pissed off with me. He's like, oh, well, that's okay. If you don't fully believe me, you know, that's your choice. You know, he he was angry. He's not remainingly angry with me, but yeah. um, I think it was a bit of a shock to begin with. He was like, oh, come on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but this was one thing we live in such a bloody polarized binary world and it's like you know people will make decisions about you based on one thing you have done i mean for example have you got the vaccine have you not do you think you should wear a mask do you not do you think that roe v wade should be overturned or do you not And, and 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 everyone wants to know what your opinions are about something in order to judge you completely as a human being Mm-hmm. And we are more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't always want to join the tribe in whichever direction. And and so for me to have come on and gone, this is it, this is fact, take it or leave it, is just playing into all those narratives of pretty much everything around us at the moment. Yeah. And so it was it was more of a okay, do you know what? You're you're an adult. How about you decide? Here is what I know. I will share with you everything that I know. Mm-hmm. You you decide. And, and I would say I've had equal numbers of people saying to me, he is a hero. He's incredible. I wish there were more guys like him out there. And I had one just the other day of someone going, I am now a thousand percent 
convinced, I was like mathematically improbable, <laughs> uh, but I'm a thousand percent convinced that you and the whole production team knew that this was an actor from day one. There is nothing you can say to convince me. And I was like, well, I'm not even going to bother speaking to you then. Yeah. I mean, if you're telling me there's nothing to convince you. Fine. Yeah. You make your own choice. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you knew you were making a work of fiction. Okay. If you, that's what you believe, then okay. You know. It's time to take a moment. It's time to get into our sort of sponsored segment where we talk about the men and women, the companies that help make this show possible. I'm very happy with our sponsors this year. We have a lot of new sponsors. We have a lot of returning sponsors. Um, I love all these folks. Um, And uh, let me try to give you some nuggets today. All right. So first up, friends over at Puget Systems, if you're someone that is recording your own podcast, if you're someone that is doing video editing, post-production, audio editing, uh, for those of you that are are wondering, I record this show in Adobe Audition, so I'm part of the Adobe suite, they don't sponsor the show, but I needed a computer that would run that stuff fast, efficiently, um, and uh, affordably. And so I jumped ship. I left Mac and Apple, uh, for, for my desktop years and years ago, I went back to the PC world because I like to have a tool that works for me. I don't like working within the confinements of a few selections on a website. I want to get the best deal possible. I want an upgradable machine. I like the competition between hardware manufacturers and all that stuff happens when you're dealing with a PC. Uh, don't let your tools run your life. You own your tools. You buy a tool specifically for a job, right? Don't become part of a cult. All right. So Puget Systems, go to PugetSystems.com. There you can buy a PC or you can look for a PC based upon the software you use. Uh, and Puget Systems specializes not only in making computers for stuff for people like you and me, for the creators out there, but they also are very good at putting together entire system setups for post-production facilities for sound recording facilities, for people that are using them for architectural design, for people that are using them for all sorts of different things. And what I love about Puget Systems is that they're a family-owned company. They're a smaller company compared to all the other ones that exist out there. Their customer support, you're dealing with real-life people. And as you go to their website, you can contact them, not only for a consultation, but just to talk about what it is that you need, what it is that you like, what it is that you do. Um, and Puget Systems loves their creators. They actually go around and do case studies on all their creators. You become a part of their family. I love these guys. I'm in the process of trying to get a brand new one right now. So if you listen, dudes, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, yeah, head on over to PugetSystems.com and have it change your world creatively. And uh, also supporting the show are good friends over at Jambox.io. I talk about this all the time. Music is what has saved. Having access to really great licensed music has got me work this year. It really has. 
And if you look at all the content that I've created, whether it's with Gina or whether it's myself, um, I get compliments on either A, the editing, or B, the fact that it just sounds so fucking cool. Where are you getting these tracks? Are you working with real musicians? What's going on? Um, my clients have been in awe of that stuff. And it's ultimately because I met the dudes over at Jambox.io. And if you go to Jambox, go there right now, Jambox.io, and just surf through their music and have your jaw drop. Because if you're a creator, you've been to music licensing websites, and it, most of the time, they sound like shit. They really do. They sound second rate. They sound like the leftovers that a musician has, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. I'll throw it up on a stock website. Well, maybe I'll just make some money on it. And if you produce stuff, whether it's a podcast or whether it's uh, a commercial, you know that most of the time, the last thing people are thinking about is the music, which is the wrong thought process because it's the music that emotionally sets the tone for the entire thing that you're going to do. And most people don't want to pay for great music. How often do we have the budget to pull in one of our favorite artists and offer the money to make music for us? Uh, not often enough, right? And so most of the time it's an afterthought. So with the small chum change that I'm often given by a client, I can go to jambox.io and use that for my subscription. I can use that for song play, pay per play licensing. Um, and their fucking rates are completely affordable. Let me go there right now. Hold on. I'm going to read because I'm part of their commercial subscription plan, uh, which is uh, $19.99 a month. It's their unlimited commercial. Uh, you can get a seven-day free trial with it, by the way. And what's covered is full access to all music, unlimited downloads, um, I can use this for my social media, my web streaming, but more importantly for paid advertising. Um, and it gives me full access to not only their sound effects library, but also their music stems, meaning that I can take a song, pull it apart, reconfigure it to fit the cut. So I'm not lazy. There's so many of you out there that just take a song and lay it down. You can actually custom build songs. So like when you watch all these cool trailers, and they're working like operatic parts with hip hop beats. And then suddenly there's this familiar, uh, you know, 80s fucking uh, chorus that comes through. They're weaving these songs. They're cutting these songs together for emotional effect. You can do that with stems from the Jambox stuff. How fucking rad is that? $19.99 a month for their unlimited commercial. If you're just a creator that's doing podcast, web streaming, that kind of thing. I know there's a lot of podcasters listening to today's show. That's only nine bucks a month with a 30-day free trial. That's nuts. If you're a student, six bucks a month for everything from the commercial plan to be used for student projects, film festivals, web streaming, and social channels. Now, I've heard folks say, look, I'm trying to deal with how many subscriptions I have I need to strip my life down, but I still want access to this stuff. There's single song licensing for like nonprofit wedding stuff, $29.99 per song, branded advertising, $129.99 per song. At that point, it just makes sense for you to get the unlimited commercial plan. But you know, um, there, there are options. There are definitely options there. So go to jambox.io now, even if you're not a member yet, just browse their music and have it influence your ideas. Have it inspire your edits. And uh, if you have access to this, then you can start to impress clients. I'm telling you, I've seen it happen this year. Jambox.io. Okay, 
sponsoring the show. We love them. We're excited about them. Fujifilm. I'm very excited to have Fujifilm on board. Why? Well, not only because uh, I'm able to play around with their X-H2S camera, which I love, not only for stills, but also for shooting really amazing 4K content. Uh, I love their autofocus on this rig. I mean, it's scary shit. It really is. It's like that gun turret face tracking autofocus stuff. And the lenses are incredibly responsive. And so if you're someone that is just doing your own YouTube content, if you're someone that is doing content where you don't have someone to run camera, this has a screen that flips around so I can see what I'm framing and I can put autofocus on it. So it'll keep me in focus. And you can change the way the autofocus reacts. It can look for faces. You can be looking for certain aspects of the screen. It's rad. It's really cool. The other thing I really like about this camera is that it has internal LUTs that are amazing. I love the LUTs in this rig. The black and white LUTs are really great. You can actually tweak the black and white. I'm sorry. You can actually tweak the black and white LUTs by adjusting like whether or not you're shooting red with a red filter, green filter, etc., etc. All that stuff is super cool. Um, they have uh, a LUT in there that emulates what Fujifilm 35 millimeter motion picture film looks like which is fucking rad, um, and all sorts of other options. Really cool stuff. I just shot a bunch of food stuff using the, uh, uh, what was it, the 10-bit 4K. That's like 422 4K ProRes. Um, and it's in my edit system right now, so I'm excited about it. I'm cutting it on my Puget as we speak. So um, definitely check them out. Uh, and uh, as the show continues, we'll talk about Gina's doing like two or three big projects and she's shooting with her medium format rig, which is the GFX 100S. And uh, the images that she's been getting with that are gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And here's what else is great about Fujifilm. Now that I have a relationship with them on the show, they love the show, they want to sponsor us. I just got confirmation um, from Victor at Fujifilm. If you haven't heard the episode, he was, he's been on. Go back a few episodes. He was on the show. But they're talking about us giving away a free camera to a listener. All right? So it's not 100% yet, but we've had multiple conversations about it. So I'm trying to make this work. So if you're someone that's a photographer, if you're someone that has great work, send it to me. Send it to me. If you're someone that thinks that Fujifilm should acknowledge your work, send me your stuff. And uh, we'll make it happen. All right. Um, and uh, yeah, so Fujifilm. Go to Fujifilm right now. Check it all out. I will put their links to all of their social channels below in the description of this episode. Um, and uh, please head on over to Fujifilm on Instagram and just write them a note and say, we are excited that you are teaming up with Mike and you're a part of this process. I actually hung out with uh, Michael from Fujifilm. Uh, as I'm recording this yesterday. So when am I recording this? This is uh, 8-5. Okay, so yesterday I had a meeting with Mike from Fujifilm who's like, I'm best friends with an amazing photographer, a legendary photographer, a guy who has been shooting photographs for over 60 years. He has been the on-set photographer from every amazing Black Rain 
uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, the most recent uh, Star Wars movies, um, to um, what was the other big one that I was really impressed with? Oh, my God. Oh, he did all the Mission Impossible stuff. So I'm excited. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm supposed to next week. Well, so what happened was is that Michael from Fujifilm was like, let's go hang out. We went, hung out at this awesome old school Hollywood bar slash restaurant that's right across the street from Warner Brothers. And the three of us sat down and got to know each other. And after that conversation, the photographers agreed to come on the show. So going to have that set up as soon as I possibly can. Cross your fingers if I can get that recorded before I have to go away for the rest of August. So, uh, fuck yeah. Fujifilm is already, it's already becoming a great relationship for the podcast. We're going to be having some of their new filmmakers that they're sponsoring on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, please, everybody, thank Fujifilm for supporting the show. And definitely go check out their website and check out these new cameras. And if you have any questions about these rigs, uh, you can send me notes or questions on... Instagram. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Indie Pro, Indie Pro Tools. Indie Pro is a place to go if you're looking for batteries to power your cameras. I have a Blackmagic Pro 6K camera, and the problem that with it that I always have is that their battery is just small. You have to charge it within the camera. It's kind of a pain in my ass. And so I wanted to power not only that camera, but I wanted to power all the accessories that I used on it. So I needed to find a great battery power provider. I found IndiePro. They make amazing bricks, V-mount, gold mount. Uh, they're lightweight. They hold the charge for a long period of time. They charge quickly. Um, they are the place to go if you need to build custom um, power sources for these cameras. They do it all in their New York facilities. So it's not like you have to wait for an order to go to China and come back. It's great stuff. Go to IndieProTools.com, check them all out. I think we're going to have uh, some sort of promo codes in the description of this episode. We love these guys. They've been with us for a while now. Uh, big fans. So that's it. Those are our ad reads for today's episode. Um, oh, you know what? I want to give a shout out to our, because this is a great episode for it. I want to give a shout out to Bear Republic, our beer sponsor. Um, we're excited to be sponsored by a beer company finally on the show. You guys know I do a lot of food episodes. I do a lot of food stuff. I'm going to be doing an episode soon where we do a bar safari. Finally, I'll do episode 200. If you've noticed, we're beyond 200. I haven't done episode 200 yet, but I think it's going to be in September. And that whole show will be sponsored by Bear Republic. And if you want to get your hands on some great micro brews, some limited batch brews, head on over to bearrepublic.com. There, if you're in the state of California, a few other states, you can actually order it directly from Bear Republic. They'll ship it to you, which is crazy to me. Um, or if you go to their website and you're looking for one of the small batches, they'll tell you where you can get it in your state. The liquor stores that carry it or maybe Drizzly carries it. There's a bunch of different options. It is a great resource to find really awesome microbrews. Head on over to bearrepublic.com and use the discount code PROCESS15. And this will give all of our listeners 15% off of their entire online store, both beer and merch. Bearrepublic.com. All right, that's it. Enough ad reads. Back to the show.
Right. It's funny how much we need to have good guys and bad guys in our own opinion at this point. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Because you forget, and this is something that I learned as I do podcasting, and, and this is something that I've learned as I have been a filmmaker, and you, our job is to be empathetic. And it, our job is to understand how someone could possibly do something in that moment. Because, uh, come on, it's so easy to come out and go, like, this person is the child of Satan. And then, they, yeah. you know, when they came out of their mother, they came out with the urge to kill. And that's all they did. And they're evil. It's yeah. a, th That's not the truth at all. And I think human beings- Easy, are, though. Yeah, easy, isn't it? <laughs> very easy, man. Yeah. And, like, human beings are very complex. And human beings are very much- uh, you know, changing and shifting and morphing based upon what they bump into, what they what what they experience in life, um, and so to have such a black and white outlook on anything, it makes you a scary. You're the scary individual at that point because what you're doing is you're 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 laying down a firm foundation in which you don't want to grow. You don't want things to change in your life, and you're coming out and saying like, "This is what it is." It's like, okay. I always say this. I try to live in the gray, and it's so hard to live in the gray. So hard. Right? So hard. Right? Yeah. Because when you're younger, everything is – you're learning. Everything is so intense, and you find something, you fall in love with something. As you said before, the gates of heaven open and shines a light down on you, and then you start to get a bit older, you know? And it's like, all right, mm. well, I can't go out drinking on a Wednesday and crash on my friend's couch again, <laughs> you know, because my body hurts, you know? And so – you, you, you sort of develop, and, and, the, and then the danger of getting older is that now you're like, well, I've got this experience. So prior to this, and you start be, you become very calloused, and you start to create a rhythm for your life that is comfortable because you've learned your lessons. And the danger in that is that you're not learning new lessons. You're just desperately trying to keep those walls as high as you possibly can around this moment that you think is the the perfect life for you. Um, and it, it's dangerous. And to live in the gray means that you have to be able to learn. You have to be able to see what the youth is discovering. But at the same token, you have to be able to turn to the people that came before us and attempt to take the best from their experiences to live in the moment at that time the best way you possibly mm -hmm. can. You know? Uh, yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent to all of that. It is incredible. Change is really, really tough. And I think the fact is at the moment, there is such change in every single facet of our lives yeah. from medicine to politics, to geography, to climate, to, to relationships, to, to everything. You can understand how some people are standing there stock still with the words spinning going, what the heck is going on? Yeah. What is happening here? So of course, like you said, you want to cling to the thing, to the narrative that makes you feel grounded, yeah. whatever that narrative is. And you know, people then get online and they get on social media and they find that wonderful echo chamber that just basically confirms every single belief that they have because challenging <laughs> it, whether you're coming from the left or the right, mm -hmm. challenging it is hard. And it's, it's just, it's difficult. And, you know, we all, we all live in our own little echo chambers to a degree. Of course we do. But that critical thinking of seeing that image online or reading that story online and going, hang on, let me just spend a little bit of time diving into that. Yep. And quite often I find if I see something that really shocks me and I go, huh, holy shit, 10 minutes of Googling 
you go, oh, okay, I understand it more now. But but majority of people don't even do that 10 minutes of Googling. They go, oh my gosh, look at what's just happened. Yeah. And you go, but yeah, but it hasn't, that's not true. Yeah. And when it's on TV and there is the word news on the channel that you're watching, again, whether it's left or it's right, mm-hmm. people go, you see, it's on the news. And you go, yeah, but this is all through a filter. Yeah, and that's right. one thing moving to this country, actually, that I've really, coming from a country where news is impartial there isn't really any um news that is impartial in the uk there's a few channels starting up now but generally it is impartial news just facts delivered there isn't Mm -hmm. people standing commentating from either direction that was really shocking to me i remember sitting in a diner here and i'd been here i don't know about six months Mm-hmm. And they had Fox News on one side of the uh, <laughs> diner. And on the other side of the news, they had either CNN or MSNBC. And they were reporting on the same story. <laughs> and I and I cannot remember now what the story was, but I was literally, my head was switching back and forth, back and forth, because one side was saying something like, um, oh, Trump welcomed at the college, you know, the speech he gave at this college standing right. ovation. Right, right. And on the other screen, it says, thousands of students walk out of Trump's speech. Yeah. And I was like, well, one of those isn't true. <laughs> Which one is it? And it was like, wow. And, and that for me was a real moment of going, God, you really can find anything to back up what you want to believe. And yeah. that's what's a bit scary. And, and, and it's sometimes thinking, right, okay, what I need to look at the other side because somewhere in the middle is going to be the truth. Yeah. And, and you know what it is? I don't know if it's my generation. I feel like being like the, the last strand of Generation X, there's, mm. there was this sense of mistrust that was consistent where it was like, obviously that's a fucking corporation that is fucking, you know, and th- th- that was the, right. the mindset. And then somewhere that just disappeared somewhere um, among the subscription based service lifestyle that we all live in right now, it became, you know, Oh, well, no, they're not fucking with us. And, and we were so very simply distracted by dopamine hits really is what it is where it's just like i logged on i'm not feeling anything right now i logged on to my social media stuff and bam here's something that i fucking believe in and then oh here here are like a hundred other people that believe in this thing and i'm vindicated i've done something today okay great i can log off social media and it's like you haven't done anything all you've done (laughs) is just read a press release probably put out by the company that is trying to distract you from the fact that they're stealing from you. And now Mm -hmm. you felt like you've done something today. It's like, it's been so, I love the internet for the access that it gives us. You and I wouldn't be talking right now if I didn't have access to this, but um, the destructive methods that it's had and sort of the slot machine design that all these devices have at this point. And it's like an emotional roller coaster ride. And so when you're listening to content, you you constantly have to ask yourself, like, who's producing it? How's it coming in out? What, yes. Who's advertising this thing to, to me? Like, and what else have these people done? And, and what else is happening at the same time that everybody's talking about this? And why are we all talking about something that is so trivial when something important just happened? around us you know what yeah what yeah oh my gosh yeah a hundred a hundred percent and i just i i sometimes think how is suddenly everybody all upset about drag queens where, where does this come from <laughs> yeah. where has it where has this come from yeah. this is completely irrelevant to the world right now and yet there are people fighting to be in power who are putting it at the top of their agenda and i'm like what where, yeah. I mean, who? where do these kind of seeds of ideas grow from? It absolutely blows my mind. But we know how the algorithms work. I mean, there was that, 
you know, Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, if you remember, mm-hmm. it was last year or the year before. And um, it was quite funny because I, <laughs> I saw one friend of mine uh, tweeting saying, huh, so this is basically lots of people who've made millions of dollars about, you know, setting these companies up, standing there going, oh, I wish we'd never done this. <laughs> this was a terrible idea. Mea culpa. And you're like, yeah, you're sitting in your mansion in Bel Air. But um, you know, we know that if you... If you type in, and this is obviously a simplified example, but if you go onto YouTube and type in vegetarian recipes, mm-hmm. within a few clicks and a few algorithms, you'll get vegan recipes. And then if you click on those and click through, you'll get raw vegan recipes. And then you'll click through and get you know grain-free raw vegan. And suddenly you're getting to a... And I'm saying this is something fairly innocuous, but it shows how you start off in one place mm-hmm. and you end up somewhere much further down the rabbit hole than where you began. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you're putting in something to do with politics or you know gender equality or mm-hmm. reproductive rights. So suddenly, wow, you are a very, very long way away from where you started. And that's how the algorithm is designed. Yeah. It's designed to do that to us. So you can kind of understand <laughs> how how on earth this we've got ourselves where we are today. It's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. And it's like like there's a sense of responsibility uh, that we don't have. Like as creators in this industry, right? So we're, our industry is so incredibly competitive, whether you're talking about, you know, podcasts or if you're talking about making films or television shows and, you know, as a creator, I work so hard to try to get the opportunity to work to begin, yeah. you know? So yeah. most of the time you're pitching films, you're pitching stuff, and you're just desperate. You're desperately trying to do this. And the first few years that you do it, you have integrity where you're like, I'm going to hold out, you know, this is going to be the right way. And I want to tell this an honest way. And I want to get to the point where everything's going to be fine. And then year five, year six of just getting <laughs> turned down, you're just like, oh, you want me to fucking put some Pepsi cans in their hands? You want to do this? Hey, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like that is most of our content right now. And there are these outliers where, you know, whatever the circumstances were that they're able to keep sort of an integrity around it. Most of the stuff that we're consuming is at that desperate point where, where creatives are being, I don't want to say preyed upon by these large businesses, but it just feels that way. It really does. Um, and so when you watch this content or you watch this material, you have to just sort of understand that. You have to understand that like the person that finally got the opportunity to direct that series on Netflix probably went through like six or seven years of slowly destroying <laughs> what the original <laughs> idea was to finally um, get paid, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I just, I, just uh, I mean, I can't believe you got to this stage of the conversation talking about, you know, the whole process without saying the word Batgirl. But um, <laughs> you just, I just, I think how... Uh, my, I mean, you, your, your industry is film. You all know this yes. much better than I. But as an outsider, I'm sitting here and going, how the bloody hell did it get to the point of this thing being nearly, nearly finished yeah. when, the, when the plug is pulled? And I've watched a lot of really, really, really bad films. Mm-hmm. How bad was this thing? You know, they, they, there seems to be uh, the ability to release absolute crap basically so what on earth, what what happened oh my gosh i don't know i don't have any specific details i just know through experience how destructive and how unstable uh the jobs of being executives are at those places like right. the joke is when you're pitching a film 
uh, you want to try to get it. You want to try to get in to pitch a movie when the executive first gets hired. Because when the, the, uh-huh. when an executive first gets hired, they know that their turnover rate is like maybe three years, maybe four years, and then they're going to get fucking fired. So it's like this crazy turnover that happens. So when an exec first comes in, you're like, I want to get in with them then because then the, yeah. potentially within the time period that they're still existing there, the piece can get finished and the piece can get done. And I'm not saying that that's the case with, with Bad Girl. I'm just saying that it's an incredibly sort of destructive and uh, very volatile work environment at, mm. at a lot of these studios. And especially now with the streaming wars and with whether or not stuff is going to even end up in cinema and the death of cinema. And everybody was saying that cinema's dead and then is it dead? And people are still going to the fucking movies. Is that what's going yeah, right. on? Um, and then sort of the bullshit that happened over at HBO max when they started and all of a sudden they needed to compete with Netflix and they needed to compete with all these other streamers. So all these filmmakers that they had signed contract deals with for theatrical releases were also getting dumped immediately right on, HBO Max so that they can compete with it. Mm, yeah. and, and so you sort of look at this stuff and you go, okay. And I just talked to my friend who's a writer, Hollywood writer out here about this yesterday. And he goes, can you imagine being that actress for Batgirl? Oh, yes. I know. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Like she thinks that she's finally cracked it. Like this is yeah. the opportunity for her. Like she is now an iconic figure. And then uh, they've karate chopped it. And what's even worse is that we were just sort of talking, as, and I guess you can call it gossiping, when we were talking on the phone, and we're like, how bad is she? Because they canceled it. That's the first thought, is like, is the actress the reason why this thing got karate chopped? Did, did, was she not good? And you're like, it probably has nothing to do with that poor person. It's got no, everything to do it, with the business around it. To do with the business. And, you know, quite often, again, from a complete outsider, from my sort of, my my naive perspective or my lack of lack of real insider knowledge perspective is that quite often I will, I will watch a movie and it's a big hot mess. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, there are characters that kind of start off strong and then they just sort of fizzle out. And then at the end, I'm like, whatever happened to them? They just disappeared halfway through or someone does something completely out of character that's a bit of a plot twist. And I'm like, what's happened there? And then you look at the end and you look at the credits and it'll say, you know, uh, original story by Sam Walker. And yeah. then it'll go, the writers, and there'll be 450 writers and their yeah. dog. And you go, that poor writer took their baby in, as we talked, you know, the analogy we had earlier, took their script in and went, da-da, yeah. here it is. And they've gone, oh, we're just going to, oh, we'll just tweak that. We'll just, oh, we'll just slightly move that. We'll just shift that. And more writers, more writers, more writers. And I mean, I don't know if this is, this is my perception, as I said, of what might happen. But when you suddenly get all these people who are, who are pulled in to do rewrites, who have have no real emotional connection to the story, no real investment to the story. And they're coming in with the kind of, oh, but this is how the framework is for a movie of this type. This is what will change up. Suddenly you get this thing that isn't, it's so far away from what it first was when it began Mm -hmm. that you just go, what is that? And he doesn't know what it is anymore. It's so fascinating because it's like, I think it comes down to, the shift in guard as far as what these studios are. There was a period of time in classic Hollywood where it was like one guy that owned the studio and they, they had, he had his execs and, you know, to go in there to pitch a story or go in there, especially during the seventies when they were desperate and they turned to creatives like uh, Coppola's and all those folks to make something great that you, you, they would in, 
vest in the creator. So they would say to the creator, like, this is your chance. We'll put all this on here and we're going to ride with it. And granted, they're not investing like $250 million into one property. It's like, okay, here's 30 million bucks or here's $20 million. Go make something and, and surprise us. And the truth is when it comes to filmmaking, a director, you need a director. He's he's the captain to a submarine that is loaded with holes, right? You mm-hmm. you need that singular vision. You need it. Because um, as soon as you start introducing all this other stuff, it breaks down. Everything breaks apart. And you have to be collaborative. If you're a great director, if you're a great storyteller, you're collaborative and you're learning ideas from the people that you work with, the people that you cast. Uh, you're getting great notes from your studio folks that know more than you do about releasing it to the public and an understanding of that. And you're taking all those notes and, and, but filtering it through a singular vision still. Because at the end of the day, when we hear stories, we hear a story from a singular person. If you sit down at the campfire and one of us goes, hey, I'm going to tell you this spooky story. And then there's fucking like five people sitting around me going, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it wasn't on a Wednesday night. It was on a Thursday night at peak hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I mean? So I think it's just, it's important that we remember this. And now we're in a time period where it's corporate. So instead of having like a singular owner for a studio, it's a boardroom. And that studio is most likely owned by like a power company or some mm-hmm. other place that is uh, just giving a fuck about the bottom line at that point. And so it's difficult. And as a director, if someone came to me and said, hey, Mike, I want you to direct the new Godzilla versus Kong movie. I love Godzilla as a kid. I'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. But then the stress of knowing that it's going to be a $250 check that I have to make money back on and the stress of like going, the only way we're ever going to make that kind of money back twice fold is if we get all the kids in the audience, we get everybody from both sides of the fence in that audience. And how do we make these characters? I hate this term relatable to to everybody. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's so interesting how radio and audio well, not podcasting, because that's actually now the old radio is now what podcasting is. But, you know, you you talked, Mike, earlier on about sitting down in a radio studio and them saying, play the CDs with the green mm-hmm. stickers first and the red stickers. And, you know, you look now about, or you think back to when you were a kid and those DJs you listened to on the radio who just were like, oh my gosh, I've heard this record. I need mm-hmm. to play it for you mm-hmm. because it is wild. And just listen for when the drums come in and, you know, 30 seconds into the tune, the drums come in, it's going to blow your mind. And here you go. And you are glued listening to that radio. Yep. And you have that connection because you have that connection with that presenter, with that host, and you trust them to play you the stuff that they love and make you love it as well. Yeah. And yet, what happened was a bunch of people got into boardrooms and sat around and went, oh, we don't want anyone to turn off because they don't like the song because we got to sell those ads. So let's get some focus groups and let's play 20 songs to the same 100 people every week. And if 90 of them don't like it, we mustn't play that song (laughs) ever on this radio station. And all the trust got taken away from the presenters themselves and they were given the playlist. Do not deviate from the playlist ever. And I, and I, it just drove me absolutely up the wall. And I moved from music radio into speech radio later in my career. But I remember once 
being on a radio station mm-hmm. and it was the kind of uh, not old older people so not kids not 25 year olds more sort of you know 40 40 plus type people yep um that was the main audience and and Scott Walker died, right? So mm-hmm. I was doing the show and it was announced, hey, Scott Walker's died. And I was like, oh my God, Scott Walker, bloody hell. I mean, he changed music for so many people. Yeah. And and what an incredible voice. And I thought, right, I need to play The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine anymore. You know, the Walker Brothers, what a tune. I still you know, I still get goosebumps thinking about that kind of beat coming in and then his voice is so low and he's like, loneliness. <laughs> and he's, oh my God, what an incredible spine tingling song. It's just amazing. The building of the violins and this musical legend had died. Yeah. And I was like, I've got, I've got to play it. And I kind of talked it up in the way I've just talked it up to you, but a little bit more focused and, and talked about how much he changed everything and how he influenced so many people and the production. But, oh, and oh my gosh, he's died here's the sun ain't going to shine anymore. And before we got to the first chorus, my boss had sprinted across the whole radio station floor, burst in and gone, turn it off. Oh my God. Turn it off. And I was like, what? It was like, well, you can't play this. It's not on the list. It's not. And I was like, Scott Walker's just died. What are you, this is not me frivolously playing some piece of shit. This (laughs) is me playing one of the greatest songs ever written by one of the most influential musicians who has ever lived, who's just left this planet. And he made me turn it off halfway through. He stood over me and made me turn it off. And I was like, I am just bloody done and you go sometimes the boardroom most of the time the boardroom doesn't know what they're talking about and it's just it's infuriating well and then you you know it takes a while for you to do like we were saying before about connecting the dots and mistrusting sort of corporations then you go sit there and you go ah right so this radio station has been bought by a bunch by this giant conglomerate that owns uh 40 or 50 different radio stations <laughs> and it also so happens to be the same sort of company that runs this concert venue thing and now this yeah. company knows that you're going to play all the songs from the concerts that they're going to be selling and then you sort of connect the dots and you just go like oh, what the fuck am i doing here you know what i mean like yeah, you just sort of yeah. at a point where you're like fuck Exactly that happened in England where one huge radio group um, launched a band. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they created a record label because they just knew that every single one of their hundred stations would absolutely push this band and play them. And, you know, yeah. you, you, you nailed it. Yeah. 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 It becomes greed. And we, we're still seeing that now. I mean, it's, this is pretty much what the business is right now. And the, the unfortunate part, at least of the movie business, is you feel like it's mostly that. There are these still great outliers. There are great production companies that exist out there. And every once in a while, I've come across like a really amazing, um, you know, executive at one of the studios where I'm like, that person's the shit. They're really great. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think the other thing that is very frustrating when you're a creator is that you're there are so many middlemen put between you and the person at the top. And these middlemen are given, quote unquote, the power to do things. Um, and so you spend so much time pitching to these these smaller execs or these mid-level execs. And you spend effort and time developing and working on this stuff. But it still has to go up through this chain where you have mm-hmm. absolutely no emotional connection to the person at the top. And they constructed it that way. Um, and so it makes yeah. it very difficult to come up with a creative idea that's new. And that isn't based on another property, that isn't an instant win, that isn't going to save them on all sorts of advertising because, you know, everybody knows who the guy in underpants and cape is. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
Well, it's, and that's why, isn't it such an absolute joy when you see something and yeah. think, how did this get past all of that bullshit? Because, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm sure there are so many ideas that, as you said, either the first exec goes, I'm sorry, this is never going to get made, even though it's amazing because it's just too divisive, or is completely believed in and then gets higher up the chain and they put the kibosh on it then. But I'm thinking about the boys on yeah. Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I sit watching that going, how is this how is this made i mean oh my it's so outrageous it's so vile it is it's just terrible in the most amazing way yeah and i'm like wow well, how did this get made how did someone just go you you literally can't do that on screen <laughs> 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 well, I mean, honestly, the truth is, is that it was a comic book prior. So it was an intellectual property that had success. And so it made it a bit easier. Like if, if you and I were like, hey, let's yeah. write a thing about a vigilante and, and uh, you know, he's like shrinking down and jumping into some guy's butt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a prior intellectual property. We probably wouldn't get a meeting, you know? So it's. It's a it's a weird world right now. Everybody's like, you know, everybody's trying to get the uh, the cryptocurrency payout. You know, everybody wants the fast cash, like something yeah. that's as easy and uh, you know you don't have to work hard for it. Um, and they realize it's not two thousand and four, and they're like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we missed it. <laughs> uh, but but anyway, so how are you on time, Sam? Are you okay? Like, where were you at? I have got uh, about twenty minutes. Okay. Well, I want to yeah. I want to rotate it back just a bit to the American Vigilante, just for the folks that have been tuning in and they wanted to get some answers. And they're like, Mike, why did you guys get off in this fucking tirade? <laughs> Which has been great. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this: It's so you. How many hours of footage did you record with him? Did you say about fifty? About fifty hours. Fifty hours of footage. Yeah. And so. Mm -hmm. Was it a, a long uh, post-production process for you guys to, to, to put this thing together? Yes, it was about five months, I think. Wow. About four or five months. I can't remember exactly, but I, yeah, it was around that time. It was a long period of time and it was... You know, we we knew that we wanted to focus each episode around one of his stories, but then obviously we we also recorded a bunch of other stuff and conversations, which mm. were kind of adjacent to the main body of that story. Each of the stories he told, um, so we couldn't really ascertain what or kind of draw a line through the narrative until everything was recorded yeah. we had a really good idea of of what he had said about lots of other things and then there was also times when we kind of had to go back and ask him other stuff because like i said when i was listening i had 48 conversations going on in my head at one time so right, i was taking right. lots of notes and the producer was taking lots of notes and then it was only after going back i was like well hang on when he said that that really didn't make sense but let's leave that till the end to go back and ask him about that you know i didn't want to interrupt him constantly as he was telling me stories and going did you really wait a minute you just said you drove from coast to coast in a modified truck on one tank of gas <laughs> how that's impossible come on what are yeah. you doing but I didn't yeah. want to just stop breaking him up. So I kind of wanted to let him speak, take notes, take stock, and then go back. Um, I really enjoyed the episode that you guys did where you sort of talked about the editing that you had to do. And you were sort of transparent about like how he actually sounded for some of the interviews and how the show was cleaning things up. I thought that was a really fun episode that helped add to the honesty 
of of the series because I think a lot of people don't realize how much cleanup work goes into the average thing that you listen to in general. Um, and so, like when you when you listen to KC, did he? I mean, you guys have him sounding so so polished and so epic in the piece as it's finished. Did he sound that way all the time or did you have to do a lot of cleanup work for him? No, pretty. I mean, you obviously run it through kind of filters and stuff. I guess it's a bit like putting an Instagram filter on, but we didn't alter his voice in any way. And, you know, the setup was, it was tough because he, he didn't want to tell us where he lived. Mm -hmm. Um, We still don't know where he lives. I don't even know the state that he lives in, although I've got an idea, but um, he didn't give me his address ever or, or, or the address that we would send equipment to. So he told us, he said, look, I'm going to give you a PO box number. It's about a three hour drive from my house. I'm not going to tell you in which direction. So you need to give me lots of notice and I'm only going to make that drive once. <laughs> so if something stuffs up in the equipment, that's your problem. So we kind of had to send two of everything. He didn't have a laptop. Oh. you know, that we knew would, so we had to send all the equipment that we wanted for him, you know, a decent microphone times two. We had to send a laptop. We wanted to send like a, a decent uh, arm for the mic and mic covers and all these other things that everything we had to think of in advance thinking we can't, he can't make this drive again. Mm-hmm. So all of that was sent to him. And then there was a lot of time in setting it up and making sure that he wasn't kind of off mic as people start to talk. And then he'd go, no, you have to go back in front of the mic, you know, and then he'd get much too close to the mic and talk like this. And we were like, no. So it was a real learning curve in, in setting him up, getting him confident in getting online. He would drive to uh, a space because again, he wouldn't do it in his own home. And he also lives off grid yeah. So he, he said, I, I, I can't really talk to you. I don't have the appropriate connections here. So he would drive again to this space. So sometimes he was late and I'd be sitting there waiting for him to show up. <laughs> and uh, other times a couple of people like walked in and crashed into and he was like, who are you? Um, so <laughs> there was there was a lot of, yeah, the stuff that you just kind of have to set up and 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 do your due diligence to start with really to, to get it all going. But then it just shows you know, in this day and age, you can get a really decent microphone and a really good sound from a domestic setup if you take the time to make it sound great, you know? I mean, the show sounds phenomenal. I mean, it's a, it's so immersive. And as you listen to it, you just like, I, I, full transparency, my, my uh, writing partner sent me the show and because we're working on an idea that has like vigilantes and stuff. And he's like, you have to listen to this episode. And I was like, okay. And so it was research. So I put it on yeah. and I was like, all right, I'm just going to listen to the research on this. And then I was like, what? And so then <laughs> I fell into it. So I went through the whole thing as quickly as I possibly could. Um, and the sound, the way that you guys, you know, cut up uh, in what I would assume the way that you guys cut up the information that you were delivering, uh, to to make it entertaining. Did you guys do any of those? I mean, it felt like you did that kind of edit where it was like, we're going to let you know what happens later or we're going to, were you guys rearranging his interviews just for the uh, the listener experience? Uh, sometimes. Yes. Not rearranging the interviews per se, but yeah, we did sometimes kind of take breaks and stuff. I mean, he talked for a long time. Yeah. I mean, sometimes those stories took two hours to tell. <laughs> so there was a lot in there and and you know i just have to say um phil brown who was the guy who mixed is just 
fantastic. He's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant man. So yeah, hire him, everyone. I think he might actually have a job, but anyway, anyway, <laughs> hire him. Uh, he's just fantastic. So he did a lot of the sound design and the he's just brilliant. But um, and Steve Jones is my producer. He's also fantastic. Yeah. But um, you know, we one of the times that I think we said towards the end was when people were like, oh, this is all too far-fetched. This is all, you know, ridiculous. And you're an idiot for believing him. And I was like, you have to realize we cut a lot of stuff out because it's actually quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he would yeah. go into a lot of detail about, and I, I kind of gone into the drug house and, you know, there was this couch and, you know, we had this kind of, kind of, not linen, but what would you call it? Um, Kind of a, carton i guess but i was like get to the verb you know i don't really care what material the couch was so he would go into you know and he said to me oh you said i was boring afterwards he called me i was like no no i'm trying to make a point that you know you aren't everything he goes into a lot of detail about sort of how he managed to change his switch his truck out the gas tank in his truck and all of this and i was a bit like you know on screensaver at that point yeah 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 um, so I was saying, look, I was trying to make a point in your defense, <laughs> actually, yes. not, not yes. to have it with you. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it's like the world's biggest jigsaw puzzle. I mean, you you know what it's like when mm-hmm. you have a creative thread. It's as much as about as which order you put the different composite parts in as the parts themselves. And, you know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a whole other skill, yeah. I, 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 I'm going to fuck this up, but I heard this uh, recently. Someone was saying there was a study that was like, we absorb more if the information we're getting is shocking at first. Um, oh, really? Yeah. There's a wow. study for this where it's like our brains, we absorb more because it kicks in sort of that, like, there's a lion chasing me. It's like that flight or f- uh, fight yeah. sort of thing. So. When you see, and you, you know, we cut the stuff for TV all the time where it's like, you got to, you got to do a cold open, you know? So like, if you're watching a series, instead of starting with the character waking up in bed and doing his, brushing his teeth and then going to a place and shooting a guy in his face, you know, the the show will start with like a a body falling on the floor and a shadow figure with a smoking gun goes out the door and then it's credits. It's like shocking is, is we absorb things faster that way. Um, That's really interesting. And I've thought about, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Luther, mm-hmm. which is, um, it's a BBC series. It's available, I think, on streaming services here in the States. It's Idris Elba. Yeah, plays I love this him. Detective. Yeah, he's great. Oh my, this, well, I made a very, very, very big mistake with Luther because I watched, it was essentially a, a bunch of sort of mini seasons of it. So there was three or four episodes. And then I think there was several months, if not a year or so between the next kind of bunch of mini series. I made the mistake of watching the lot over about five days. And I genuinely, it screwed up my sleep. <laughs> it, was just, it was not designed to binge because you are messed up in the head yes. because it's about particularly nasty, brutal killers, right? And murderers. Yes, yes. And there is, there is one that's, um, you know, it's not giving anything away about the plot per se, but you're talking about that shock and it was so clever because it starts off and you are essentially a fly on a wall in a woman's bedroom yeah. and she walks in and she's obviously got home from work and you see her getting undressed and putting her pajamas on and then sitting on the bed and looking at her phone and then getting up and walking back in with a toothbrush and walking around her bed and then going over and putting the curtains and then disappearing for a second and coming back with a kind of cup of cocoa or whatever and putting it on her <laughs> nightstand. And, and, you're, and, you know, this is all a good two minutes and you're like, what's happening here? You know, this is a little bit tedious. I'm just watching this woman's nighttime routine. Yeah. And then she gets into bed and she turns her light off 
and she, you know, closes her eyes and you're still in this very same spot at the kind of foot of her bed, but up on the wall. And then the, as the kind of street lamp light is shining in through the window next to her bed, some man emerges from under the bed and crawls out from under the bed. (laughs) And you're like, Oh (laughs) shit. He's been there all the time. (laughs) And, and that was just, and that's the opening scene. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, that is genius. Cause that was the complete juxtaposition of complete mundane normality. Yeah. And then, Oh God. And that's what I think that's what that C- series was so brilliant was you kind of went, Oh yeah, that's my life. That's, that's what I do. I just get changed for bed like that. I get on a bus like that. I walk down the street like that. And then something horrendous would happen and you go, that could be my life. So yeah, I, I, I checked under my bed. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say everybody's looking under their bed at that point. Wait a minute. Right. I just, I just did my, uh, brush my teeth and I put my coffee in. Okay. Look, look under the bed. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but that's what you want. I mean, that's the genius of Jaws. That's the genius of all these movies where you're you know you're trying to get the audience to go i either know this place or i want to get to know this place and i'm invested in this and then then you have them um and that's you know i felt that way when i listened to you to your podcast where it was just like i was invested like i being a nerd i was just sort of sitting there going like how did he build this truck and like what was he doing and i was very sort of involved with um, his process and then his guys and the dudes that he, that were new and he'd call them cherry and like all that kind of stuff. I, I yeah. loved it. I thought it was like the details in that were really interesting to me. And there was, I connected with them on the same level, not, not on the level of like crushing skulls and killing people, hunting people down, but I mean, the sort of their outlook on like putting gear together and getting teams together and how they work together is very much like freelance life and very much like, you know, joining film crews and being a part of film crews and stuff. So I found myself very much connected to his stories because of that. And then also growing up as a kid and loving reading comic books and reading the Punisher books and everything else. And and just sitting here going like, is this for real? Is this something that could really happen? Um, and then there's the cynical side of me where I've worked with ammunitions guys that were Blackwater dudes. And I've worked with these guys in real life. And they start to come in and they start to tell you these stories. And you're like, okay, you're telling me the story. Does this mean someone's going to show up to my house and fucking shoot me in the face? Because you just told <laughs> yeah, me this right. fucking thing. I know. You know, and you're like, what the fuck, dude? Don't tell me all about that shit. And, but they're also, when they open up to you, they come off with sort of this sort of bravado that you're like, wait, are you fucking full of shit, man? So Mm. that's what I liked about the show is it had all of that stuff from my life when I listened to the show. So I was in like episode one on it. 100%. That's great. That's great. And I love the fact that you said you kind of were fascinated with the kind of huge detail he went into. And that's something I kept coming back with time and time again, because a bit of me was like, mm, there's a lot of detail. And you know, when we lie, we tend to embellish mm-hmm. because in our brain we go, well, if you give more detail, it's, it, it sounds less fake than, oh, I'm late because yeah, dog ate my homework. We're like, so I walked in and the dog was there and then my homework was, you know, and they go into huge detail. But then another bit of me was like, this guy's going into such detail. He's not written it down. I can see him. It's coming out of his brain. I can interrupt him and he will go back and he will tell me the same story. I can sometimes leave it three weeks and go back and go, do you remember when you said about you knew you were crossing the border in Mexico? And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll go back in and he'll tell me the same things again. It's and crazy. I'll say, and then, you, and then you fell over. And he was like, no, 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 I didn't fell over. The guy fell over. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. So then I started thinking, <laughs> so this 
man is either telling me the truth, but even if he's not, who this is fascinating. Yeah. Who is this person who's created such a world yeah. that he he lives it and he breathes it? He's he's up on Lord of the Rings level universe creation here. Because he really <laughs> yeah. has. He knows every fine detail. He knows the fabric of the couch in the drug house in Mexico and yeah. can talk to me about it like a Tolkien, you know, aficionado can tell you about, you know, the orcs yeah. armor in absolute detail. And I think that's what I found fascinating. And that's kind of how I approached it was like, whatever this is. I'm interested. Well, and, and, you know, I remember I was talking to my buddy when I was listening to the show and he goes like, what do you think? Do you think it's real or not? And there was a piece of me that went, look, if this is real, wow, that's amazing. Mm. That's cool. And that's interesting. If this is fake, wow, that's amazing. That's cool. <laughs> that's interesting. Like both yeah. ends of it. I'm like, okay, so if this is, if at the end of the show, Sam says, uh, he was making it all up. It would still mm. be fascinating. It would be like, how the fuck does this person retain all that information? How does this person yeah. do all that stuff? Yes, it yes, exactly. It would have been exactly. just as interesting to me if at the end of it, you guys were like, oh yeah, he was making it all up. I'd but I'm glad wow. because that's exactly, exactly how I approached it. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I could talk to you for two more hours. <laughs> 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 uh, this has been wonderful. Um, and I'm just so happy uh, to, to meet you and to talk about this stuff and, um, like, uh, I love the show. Anybody that is listening that hasn't checked it out, please do. It is quite an experience. It's one of the reasons, in my opinion, and I'm not embellishing, it's one of the reasons why podcasts should exist. It is entertainment in an audio format that is the best. Um, and I really feel like you guys knocked it out of the park with this. So definitely go check out American Vigilante. And then, uh, what else are you working on right now? Are you doing anything new? Um, I've got a few things I'm working on. I'm actually, um, writing, which means I'm thinking about writing, um, <laughs> a, a screenplay at the moment, but that is fiction. That's something I've been working on for a while. I'm approaching it from a, I don't really know what I'm doing stage of things, but I've, you know, got an outline and, you know, um, um, mm -hmm. that's, I'm, I'm excited by that. And it's something I feel really passionate about and I'm enjoying that. Um, I've got a few other little projects that are kind of bubbling under that we'll wait and see. And a few ideas that are out there that I'm thinking I would really love to make that. I just need to find someone to make it with me. So with those stage of things, but cool. um, yeah, it's fun and it's, I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm, I'm loving as much as I loved my whole career in radio, not turning up and sitting in the same radio studio six <laughs> days a week. It's good. It's good. Life is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever you do next, I am definitely tuning in. Um, and, uh, Sam, thanks again for, for just taking the time and being on the show and being on time for my interview. You can tell you're a pro. <laughs> really good to speak to you, Mike. Take care. We'll have that beer one day. Right. So, uh, what do you think? I love Sam, man. She's super cool. There's something about her voice 
and she seems so approachable. She seems like so much fun. Um, if, if I ever have the opportunity to have beers with her, I will, because it sounds like the two of us would get real nerdy and very passionate over beers. <laughs> It'd be a blast. Um, but thanks everybody for listening. And, uh, like I said, if you haven't done so yet, definitely go check out her show, American Vigilante. You'll find it on Apple podcast. You'll find it on whatever streaming services uh, that you use. Um, and, uh, she also has another podcast, which I haven't listened to yet, which is desert diaries. I'm interested in that. And I'm, like I said to her on the show, I'm curious to see what she has coming out next because I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the, her perspective. I'm a fan of the work she does in the production that she's involved with. So very happy to have met Sam. And I'm very happy that you all were able to join us and sit. what do you think of today's show? Let me know. Write me a note on Instagram at Mike Petchy. What'd you think? Um, I'm going to try to put as um, as many supplemental materials as I can up on the inlovewiththeprocess.com website. Those of you who are newcomers to the show, maybe you just showed up today for this episode, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all of the shows by subject material. We're now well past 200 episodes at this point. So if you follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it could be daunting. I mean, if you're a true comic book fan, you go back to episode one, you'd listen to everything. You know what I mean? But if not, I get it. Head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can listen to the episodes that are just with directors or writers or with uh, musicians. And I've got artists and I've got a sleep study episode. It's all over the place. Basically, this show is just a collection of conversations that I want to have selfishly. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> right? Um, it's also a great place if you want to learn more about our sponsors. We have a sponsor page. All of our promo codes will be up there on uh, inlovewiththeprocess.com. And then each episode has their own individual page. We'll all put up supplemental materials. Sometimes there'll be links to trailers. Sometimes there'll be links to images. You know, I try to get the guests to send me as many photos as they can. New photos, different photos, photos from their iPhone. I put it all up there. Inlovewiththeprocess.com. Check it out, please. Um, so what's going on? I'm recording this show, full transparency. As you've heard in the background, we're very busy here. Gina's in the process of doing uh, a bunch of different treatments. She's got too much work going on. So as you've listened to this episode, you might hear some keyboards that are running in the background. I can't tell her with any, uh, you know, good faith to stop working today. She's, so she's in the background, writing treatments, trying to as quietly as possible. So it's not me taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> listen to these interviews that's her back there desperately trying to bang out the final sentences of a treatment packet um a lot of stuff going on we're recording all these in um what are we at like uh early august uh back end of august i will be uh back on the east coast for three weeks i think what i'm going to try to do is a few of the thursdays I'll do like a catch up from the road. I'll probably be recording that just with my iPhone. So don't give me shit for the audio quality because it's in the road. You know what I mean? Well, am I going to pack up all this stuff and take it with me? Come on. Come on. Not going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying August. And thank you everybody for following. And for the super fans out there, um, if you uh, consider yourself a super fan and you think you deserve one of our guest pins for being a super fan, write to me on Instagram and explain to me what you've done to be a super fan. If you want to prove yourself, super fans are the folks that have commented, left reviews on Apple Podcasts for our show. They are people that repost all of our podcast 
um, you know, releases every month on Instagram or every week on Instagram. Um, and they've gotten other friends to listen to the show. I have a bunch of super fans and you guys know who you are. The big ones have pins already. I couldn't have the show without y'all and I can use some more of you. So, um, if you want to be a super fan, write to me on Instagram and let me know. All right. That's it. By the way, big shout out to all the musicians that do the show. I hope you guys have been, uh, or that give us music for the show. I hope you guys have been listening to our musician showcase episodes. That is a great place to find out who does the music that you hear on the show. It's hard for me to play a track in the intro and go, oh, this is Code Electro or, oh, this is the Neon Droid. So I like to do these little musician showcase episodes um, to give full thanks and shout outs. And I'll play those tracks and you get to know what they are, and where they're from. All right. Uh, you'll find that in your queue or you'll find that at in love with the process.com. That's it. Uh, I've got a lot more recording to do today, so I'm gonna let you guys go. Um, but as always, we will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>